0: are you doing? Great. What does WWW stand for? What? Well, it's going to stand for something different today because uh, we're going to look at that passage together from Acts chapter 2 and as we do so as we examine this picture of a church of a movement that God started 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost and how that just grew and, and gained momentum we're going to be looking at what it was about that church that was so great and in our year of equipping as Ivy we're going to be looking at what it takes for us to become a great church more and more like that church because Jesus said it was the kind of church that he would build that against which the Gates of hell would not prevail. It was like there was nothing ever going to stop that kind of a church. So what makes a great church? Um, you know, there's various ways that you can measure a church. Some people are going to look at the statistics in the last few weeks, especially about the decline, especially among uh, historical established churches and say, well, that's the end of the church, really. And uh, other people say, well, you've got to measure a church as being different to that. In the sense, you've got to, you know, you want to have a big building full of lots of people. You want to make sure that you've got lots of children and young people there. And you need to have a great band and you need to have a, a handsome, dynamic preacher, Uh, And some of you are thinking, well, you know, three out of four isn't bad today. (laughs) Yeah, it's not that big of a building. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the fact is, it's not the way God judges a great church. There are tens of thousands of great growing churches all around the world now that don't have a big building. That don't have lots of the things that we put on the successful list and yet they're flourishing and they're reaching people and helping them find their way back to God. And uh, in fact the church that I preached last weekend, last Sunday, stood there in this church in Haiti for example rebuilt from the rubble of six years ago. And myself and Andy Hawthorne walked down that street and it was just like an, a, the apocalypse had happened. And, and there was people being dragged out of buildings, were, you know, dead bodies and the stench of death was in the air. And we found this Pastor Menard with his cap on that said, Jesus is my boss. And he's just there on his own with a brush and brushing up and trying to rebuild. He'd, they'd broken it. The school had gone. The, the The church had gone. A house had gone. And he was like, Alone, and it was great to be able to come and stand with him six years on. By the way, that roof Ivy you paid for. That roof in that church, when I did the marathon a few years ago, lots of you sponsored and some people gave very generously towards helping that happen. So, the, you know, we put the roof on that. And to be honest with you, most of the time, if I go on mission trips like this, I go into professional mode. In fact, I go into policeman mode and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect me. But when we pulled up outside that church and I saw what God had done and I saw that what we'd done in partnership with that church, I couldn't, I got out of the car. I couldn't, I couldn't really speak. I just was, I literally was speechless and I'm supposed to be saying hello to this pastor and I'm like, just, and then when I was preaching last Sunday and I looked around, I saw all these kids and all that kind of stuff. Again, in the middle of the talk, I just lost it again. So, um, you know, just admitting that because I just thought what a great church. Well, a great church is doing stuff in the poorest imaginable circumstances. These people have rebuilt and picked it all back up again. Those kind of things make a great church. You know, having a big budget, having a big crowd, having comfortable seats, having, those kind, having nice lights or whatever. All those things, you know, they can be good. Having a great website and attractive, all that kind of stuff, perfect. But that's not what makes a great church the way God defines it. So we're going to look at the three W's today that collectively and individually we can measure ourselves against because this isn't just about judging the church. If you're in the church, you're going to be looking at yourself. And think, are these things true for me, and to what extent are they true for me? And I haven't got time to look at the whole of this passage, the whole of this amazing chapter in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to revisit it next week at the AGM and, and next Sunday evening at Sharston. But when you look at Acts chapter 2, you'll see this amazing story of, of like the virgin bride of Christ that's birthed out of prayer, travailing prayer. For 40 days and, for, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit throws the people out onto the street. Not, he doesn't even keep them in the building. And then from the outset, this is a church that's full of people of all kinds of backgrounds and nationalities and tribes and tongues. All coming together and saying the same thing. Saying and declaring boldly that Jesus Christ is Lord and that there's no other name by which people can be saved. That's true. That's, I there's no other name by which people can be saved. Absolutely. That's their message. And this is the community that gathers together. And something incredible happened among these people. This was a group of people who would go out on a limb of faith in response to God and what he felt that like he was saying. This was a group of people um, who, who forgave one another and loved one another. Where, this was a place where enemies became friends, where strangers became brothers and sisters. They'd actually call themselves that. Because they had the same good, good father. And this great church spread like wildfire. It was uncontainable. It was irresistible. It was unstoppable. There were signs and wonders that took place in, this, in the middle of this miraculous, beautiful community. And it released such power that it grew from a handful to hundreds of thousands within just a very short space of a couple of decades. So is God still the same God? Three people think he is. Is God still the same God? Does the Holy Spirit still have the same power? You know, he's not lost his stuff or anything. Is Jesus Christ still the same saviour? Yesterday, today and forever. So today if it is to happen, if we're going to see that again in our day, I think that these three key priorities that would shape that community have to shape ours too and they all begin with W. Uh, Ready for this? Number one, we first need to figure out what matters. In, verse chapter, in chapter 2, verse 42, Luke defines the priorities of the early church and he tells them what really mattered to them. He says, And they, continu- they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four items, like four legs on the family table. They all apply to us. They all apply to Ivy today and tomorrow, wherever and whenever we meet. These things will not change. It, this is the unchanging stuff in terms of the church. We can change what buildings we meet in. We can change what times we meet in. All those different kinds of places don't really matter. These things are the unchangeable. They devoted themselves number one to the apostles' teaching. Now, of course, they didn't have the New Testament, but they had the apostles with them. The guys who'd spent years with Jesus, who'd sat at his feet, who'd listened to his teaching, who'd absorbed it all and been transformed by it all. And they they knew the stories. They memorised the stories. They would tell the stories and they would retell them in their community. And then... As years went on and the apostles looked like, yeah, hang on, you are going to die one day. We better write that knowledge down. Let's write those stories down. And they collected them together and they made sure that they were authentic because they were going to be authoritative. They made sure that these people were eyewitnesses and that the stories were correct and that they were verifiable. And then they put them together into the gospels that we have. And so when they spoke about it, they didn't just say, this is some words about God. They said, this is the word of God. This is our authority. So whatever building it's in, a great church that God is building has to be built on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is God's wisdom for people who need wisdom. It's God's power and strength for people who need strength. It's His encouragement for people who are feeling discouraged. The Word of God is hope for people in despair. It's life for people living in the shadow of death. There is power in the Word of God. And there will never be a great church built on the earth that is not built upon the Word of God. We need to devote ourselves continually to the Word of God. We need to say, we believe it. We believe what it says. We preach what it says. We teach what it says to our children. We internalize it. We memorize it so we can externalize it to the world. We need to continually devote ourselves brothers and sisters to the word of God next thing they devoted themselves to was fellowship last week you looked at Great teaching about five spiritual ministries that God still wants to operate as the body of Christ through the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, you had the thing about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, all that APES stuff. Your jigsaw piece really matters and it does really matter. It's vital. You've got to listen to that podcast if you missed it because we're going to be revisiting that teaching a lot throughout this year. But a danger, a slight danger, we're talking all about this stuff about equipping myself is of the pendulum swinging way over here somewhere where I start to think it's a bit about me. I, especially because of the, the culture we live in in this self-help individualistic mindset. I could forget the big jigsaw picture and just focusing on my little bit, my ministry, my gifts. But you know what? It's not my ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. And it's not my gifts. Whose gifts is it? It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to me. So, you know what? We have to swing the pendulum back as well to get a balance. Right back over here and keep on reminding ourselves, it's not about us. It's not, sorry, it's not about me. It's about us. It's about we. It's about the church together making a massive difference in the world. The same Apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians chapter 4 also swung the pendulum right back over the other way when he wrote to the Corinthians in that very famous passage about the, the body, the body of Christ. You know that bit when he says the eye can't say to the hand I don't need you and all that kind of stuff. I love how it goes on from that in the message version. He says this, you are Christ's body, that's who you are. You must never forget Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But isn't it obvious that Christ Church isn't sorry, that Christ's Church is a complete body and not some gigantic unidimensional part? And then he goes on to talk very famously about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the bit lots of people have at their weddings, but it's not about weddings at all. It's about us. How we get to love. What love means for us in community. Being committed to a, a body of imperfect believers, bearing together, sticking together, serving together, sharing together, being devoted to fellowship. And then he says... We need to continually devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. And he's talking there about communion, specifically as part of gathering for worship. Communion is something. that kept the church connected. It kept it connected to, to Jesus and to what Jesus taught and who Jesus was and especially to the sacrifice that he made and the blood that he shed, the cross that he died on. It reminded them of his sacrifice and how much he loved his friends. And every time they gathered Pretty much they gather together and they say, let's break bread and let's have some wine together. Let's just remember, like Jesus told us to in 1 Corinthians 11, when he said, This bread is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This wine is my blood which is being poured out for you so that your sins can be forgiven. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, communion wasn't some... Service they went to on a Sunday with somebody dressed up in robes with a silver goblet and incense in the air. That, that's not, I don't believe that's what Jesus intended it to be at all. It wasn't meant to be that you'd have one guy who was authorized to be able to do that on behalf of everybody else in some priestly manner. That's Old Testament, guys. No. We are a new priesthood. And the covenant now is that we can gather together in homes. And as we gather together and Christ is present there and we recognise his presence, then somebody can break bread. And somebody can say, let's remember Jesus. Let's thank God for what he's done and everything he's going to do. And something happens. Something very important happens. How important is communion? I'll tell you how important communion is. It's a matter of life and death. Is that important? Because it's in communion we get connected to the death, and the life of Jesus gets released among us. So how would why would we ever relegate that to a particular service in a particular building done by particular people at particular times when it can be something that can be released across a community really regularly by friends who love Jesus? So that's why we want to encourage you. In fact, really want to encourage you this year, in grow groups especially, but even in your homes, just to take some time. Maybe make a. I was in Bristol recently, and these guys lived in, together in community, and they said Wednesday night's communion night, whatever they were going to eat before it, they would stop and they would have a little communion thing together, pray for one another. So powerful. You know what? Holy Spirit turned up. Not an incense thing in sight. And the fourth leg of the table is prayer for this great church and we want to devote ourselves to prayer this year individually and corporately see individually I'm going to invite everybody here at the end to stand and to pray we regularly do that but I'm also going to ask you to commit to be a prayer to really talk to God about everything this year more and more and more because prayer works and prayer makes a massive difference in everything that we do collectively through Lent Right up to Easter, as Emma just mentioned, we're going to be opening up more grow groups. In fact, the grow groups that are now existing, we want to encourage them to welcome new people in too. As we look at Rick Warren's series, Daring Faith, we've done these before. They always are amazing teaching. They're just fantastic times for us as a community. And we're going to challenge you to fast in Lent too. In connection with an initiative that James Aladrian's. Um, been putting together and loads of churches all over the country are going to be fasting in various ways through through Lent so don't panic about that don't worry about it don't start fattening yourself up now for it (laughs) because you'll get to hear more about it in the next couple of weeks but the early church knew about the power of prayer and fasting and something I don't think of I can't think of anything that releases more power in prayer than to fast together. It's something where ordinary people get connected to the extraordinary power of an amazing God. And, and you, you just watch out what happens through that time. Because prayer... You know, it's, it's how God speaks to us and directs us. On Friday, I was in Chelmsford. I'd done some teaching at a church there all day. And at the end of it, they said, well, what can we pray for you, Anthony? And I'm always up for that. And, and so um, I said, well, actually, could you pray about this Sunday's message? Because I'm going to talk to the people of Ivy. And, th- and really, I want to, first of all, thank everybody who gave so magnificently to the First fruits this year. Personally, want to say thank you for that. Because it really is a remarkable figure. It's over 156,000 pounds, Amazing. Woo. Yes. Fantastic. But I said also, please pray because I've got to say the tough thing, too. If I'm going to be just true to what I'm saying as I'm, and what I'm thinking as I'm, as I'm preparing this talk, because actually, that amount of money that we've got so far, even the cheapest option of what needs to be done on the Didsbury building for that is not enough. So these guys just, I didn't tell them all that detail about it. I just said, I need to pray. You know, it'd be great if you could pray for me. Anyway, at the end of it, this guy said, I think God just told me something and I don't know if I should say it. And I said, if you think God told you something, you should say it. <laughs> so, so then he said, uh, okay. Well, I think it's a number kept coming into my head. It's a figure. It, it, it's 400,000 pounds. God wants to provide that. And I went, oh yeah, great, I love that. <laughs> Amen. Because I believe God. I believe God speaks. I believe God God answers prayers. Do you? I want to make my plans based upon the revelation that God gives to me. So we have to devote ourselves to talking to God and listening to God. I heard somebody say recently, it's not just about putting our prayers on God's answer phone. We, we want to listen for what he says to us too. It's not just, I get it all up there. It's what does he want to tell me to do too? How, do, how does he want to direct me? So we want to start our mornings in prayer. We want to stop throughout the day regularly and pray about stuff. And when we're with people, we want to say, we're just going to pray more and more and more to be those kind of people. Because that's what makes a great church. That's what matters in a great church. The word of God matters. Fellowship together matters. Communion and prayer are, are just incredibly Things that matter for a great church, and then the second W is who who matters. Verse forty-four and all say all, all, all those who'd believed were together and had all things. Say all things. all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them what all. as anyone might have had need. Who matters? The answer's not found in me or in I, it's in we. We matter. The early church was this amazing place where because everybody knew that in the grace of God somehow, these ordinary people have been entrusted with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. They all were so committed to that. They believed, as Bill Hybel says, that the local church really is the hope of the world They took community seriously. They would open up their homes to one another and to strangers and welcome them in. They would share life with one another. If somebody had a need and they got to hear about it, it was like, well, let's do what we can. What can we do to be able to help? Let's sacrifice in order to be able to see that. And let's all contribute to it. They all contributed to it. That kind of love. Is what makes a great church. That kind of love is what made the world sit up and take notice. So I was so blown away when I was in Haiti to hear about the First fruits figure when it first came through. It's a remarkable amount, sacrificially given. I worked it out. Some people, a couple of people really, gave big. Amazing. And, you know, that's fantastic. Lots of other people gave what they could. On average, it worked out. I worked it out. It's 400 pounds. Over 400 pounds, the average gift that was given for those who gave in first fruits. And, and we've been conservative when we estimate that, that those who gave represent about 40% of regular attenders to Ivy. And that's the bit that I had to wonder about. Because 40% is actually pretty good for a church. In fact, it's better than the regular giving to the church because the regular giving to the church is about 25%, which is pretty good for your average church. I don't want an average church. I don't want you to be an average church. I don't wanna be in an average church. I want a great church. I want us to be a great church. Because a great church gets to do some great things for Jesus. Average church is rubbish. Average church isn't church. It's not church the way Jesus intended. It's the church that's been robbed by the enemy. It's been deluded. It's thought that that's okay and it's not okay. It's never, we're never going to change the world. We're never going to make a massive difference like Jesus wanted with average church. I'm fed up of average church. I never want to be in an average church. I never want to lead an average church. I would give up tomorrow if I felt that the vast majority of people here were happy with an average church. I'd go and start another one. That's not me being angry. I'm not angry at you. Please don't hear it as that. I'm not angry with any person here. I'm angry with just the way church has been so emasculated, the way it's been so stripped down and it's been, well, that's all right. It's not all right. Jesus died on a cross. He shed all of his blood for us. He called us to lay down our lives and take up a cross and follow him. Not just come to church, it's rubbish. Not just, oh, I'll get there when I want and I'll turn up and maybe I'll help out. No, that's not taking up a cross. That's not being a disciple. Get real, read your Bible. I'm speaking to myself here. I wanna be more devoted. You know, and I'll tell you what's happened. You go somewhere like Haiti and you see poor people giving, loving, serving with nothing and it wrecks you and and you can't just go back from that the best thing you can do spiritually I urge you go somewhere like that soon get wrecked get wrecked get get, just get spoiled in a good way we're spoiled the other way you know just regularly get into a place I love it we've got people like Lynn who, who have the privilege of being able to go to South Africa and see that regularly. And guess why she's a spiritual woman? Guess why she's going to take huge risks for God? It's because of what she's exposing her heart to. Maybe you can't all go abroad and do it somewhere, but you can go somewhere. You can get involved with the homeless here in the city. We can make time for the poor. All those things are going to wreck you in a really good way. Jesus calls us Thank you. None of that was in the script. (laughs) Jesus calls us and commands us to a life of generosity. Not just an act. Occasionally. It's a life. A new command I give you, Jesus said, that you love one another even as I have loved you. What does that look like? Even as I have loved you. Does that cost anything? Is that sacrificial? All those words, all, all, all. Are you part of all? All the time this church is gathering together, all of them worshipping, all taking care of one another, all giving to the Jesus mission, all fired up, all in. And this isn't about some rich people who decided that they could be able to give. In fact, last week I was with Pastor Menard and he's talking about, he said, what can we pray for you? He said, well, over there in the next village, there's some very poor people. And we want to go and reach to them, those poor, poor people. And I'd love to plant a church there. Ah, wow. See, the Bible says in that great church, people were so devoted that they even sold possessions. Some people, it says, sold houses. Nobody was making them. Nobody's going around saying, that house is too big, sell it, give it to the church. No, it was like... People wanted to sacrifice. They loved it so much. They loved Jesus that much. They wanted to do it. Gladly they did that. And this wasn't communism. It was compassion. It was commitment. It was people laying something down of a smaller dream for a bigger dream. Because they got a glimpse of what God could do together. And so they were all in for that. If we're going to be a great church, we're going to have to commit ourselves to who really matters. And lost people matter to God. They really do. And they should matter to us too. And then a final W is when. When matters. Notice the references to time in this passage. Verse 42 says, And they were continually devoting themselves. When was the last time you devoted yourselves to these things? And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Because that's what happens when this happens. And all the believers met together constantly. And day by day, continuing with one mind. See, Christian life then... It was not a, a place you went to on a Sunday for a little time and all that kind of stuff. Jesus never intended it to be like that. It was never once in a while on the odd Sunday if I'm not too busy. This was a new life. This was a new community. This was a whole new family with a whole new set of priorities it was a constant continuing day by day experience of living in this amazing community this was a great church great churches don't just do church one day a week they are church morning noon and night 24 7 and people there are involved in and equipped for ministry in the church and out from the church I want this to be a great church And we're not talking about getting so involved in church, you end up on this committee and having boring meetings about this and that. To be honest with you, we don't have many of them here. I'm talking about people so in love with Jesus and so fired up for his message because they knew that this was the power, the only power on earth to change a human heart had been entrusted to them. The message that changes everything and, and brings life instead of death had been given to them. And so they took that so seriously. The, the, the community was just infused with the love and the glory and the power and the presence of God. And everybody was in awe of that. I'd love it, if it to be a church that everybody was in awe of. Do you want to be a part of that? Four people, come on. Yes. Yes. Do you want to be a part of that? Actually, actually, no, well, you're probably right. Because it's a holy call. We've got to think before we say it. You know, the Bible says be careful before you make a vow to God because he's listening do you want to be I want this to be a great church the way God defines it so Ivy I'll ask again I'd love it actually if I could come and sit down with you look you in the eye one to one and say to you each one of you do you really want to be a part of something like that are you going to be prepared to pay the price not just to go to it but to be it not just to belong in it But to serve in it, not just to watch it happen, but to make it happen. Do you want to be a part of that? Because to be a part, you must play your part. You must give your gifts. You must get over your insecurities and your imperfections and say, this is all I've got. I'm giving it. I love it when I see the church come together. I love to see the couples in our church come together. I love to see families coming together. I love it when the kids play together down the front. I love to see blokes coming together and doing sport and all that. I love it to see the community that happens on our Facebook pages and people giving and receiving. I love it. And you know what? God loves it even more and he smiles on it. He says, every time he sees that, God says, that's a great church. So that's why I'd love you to join us at Spring Harvest because just coming here on a Sunday, you'll get so much, but you won't get to be a part of the great church because the great church is going to gather 270 plus of us and there's going to be more and we're going to have a great time and you're going to you'll get to know people far better in a week together than you would in a year of sundays Quick update on building plans before a close. And there'll be more time for this on the AGM. I've got to do it quick. The elders met yesterday to discuss what we could do for the Didsbury building. Let me say it again. We are super grateful for everybody who so wonderfully gave. And you gave blind. At that point, we didn't really know how much we were, we were looking to raise. We didn't put up a figure. We just said, please give generously towards this 70% of first Roots will go towards helping the building. But then, because Mike Ledger and Catherine and the others are great leaders of faith, they looked at it and they basically said, how can we do this? How can we do the work? And basically said, if we break all the piggy banks, if we say there's no sugar in the tea all year, if, we, if somebody sells an organ, we can do the cheapest of the three potential options this year. But as I was stepping into the shower yesterday morning, away to that meeting, out of the blue, I just felt God say, wait until I provide. And I'll go into a lot more detail about the AGM next Sunday evening about what what that means and why it's really good news and not bad news at all and how God confirmed it as soon as I got to the prayer meeting through what Becca Chung said as she started us in prayer. Because what it means to me is God's speaking, God's listening, God's hearing, God's guiding, God's providing. So I've got every confidence that when it's meant to happen, it's gonna happen. And when we met together, all the elders were unanimous in saying, yeah, we're gonna wait and we're gonna see what God does. Because you can come up against what you think is a closed door and it turns out God opened up a window. Have you ever had that? And another reason why we're not going to just do it is this. We want to lead by principles and one of our principles is we want to be good stewards. We tell you we want you to be good stewards. We say back away from debt. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. So if we are going to do that, we're not going to go out and order stuff that we haven't got the money to pay for. You know, we're not going to be one of those ministries that every now and then, every few months sends out a if you don't give, we're sunk kind of letters because that's not living by faith. It's bad leadership. Only one person thinks that's true. It's true. So we're going to pray and we're going to put that 70% of first fruits in the bank and we're going to be looking at some options in terms of the church. We're going to give some more money to that church in Haiti and some other stuff. And then we're going to see... God provide for our building needs. And in the meantime, we're going to get on with building great churches. Because we don't have to, it's not we're not reliant on that building being done up to be able to plant another one. We're not reliant upon on God doing that to plant a church that reaches 20 people. We can start it anyway. So if you're one of the around 60% who came here and has heard maybe since November about first fruits, but decided not to put anything in, can I just ask you, don't let yourself off the hook that easy. Pray again. Just pray again, and maybe you could give something in towards that, because that to me is sort of saying, "I'm part of this. I want to be a part of that." Great kind of a church. Now, if you're a Christian, not a Christian, you're off the hook. We just want you to know, come and carry on and be a part of this. I'm sorry, I talked a bit about money, but you know Jesus wants your heart, and in a minute you can offer your heart back to Him and stick up a hand like so many people here. Week by week, we're seeing people saved, and that's amazing. But I believe if we, the Christians here, got fired up like we're meant to be, we'd see the same tipping point that they saw in the early church. And the tipping point was this, where it wasn't just week by week, which is amazing, but day by day, people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ and finding their way back to God. I want to be part of a great church like that. If you do, please stand and we'll pray. What matters? The word of God. Your word matters, Lord. Fellowship together, communion together, meeting together and prayer. Who matters? I'm saying today, Lord, it's not just me, it's we together, the body of Christ, committing to these people, the brothers and sisters around me. When? Every day, starting today. Nobody else can devote you except you. Take a moment to do that. And for some people, I'm going to give you the opportunity we regularly do it. Stick up a hand if you wanted to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of that now. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to follow Jesus Christ, yeah. Some people are doing that. Some people are kind of doing it in a coming back way. Some people are just saying, I want to be a part of this church. That's amazing. Thank you.